case, you gotta copy this. Yeah, go ahead. You have a nice car. I'll be over in a minute. Time, temperature, concentration. Read the work order. Safety glasses. You're not done with that yet? Hey, put on some gloves. Can you please just follow the process? Make sure you put your respirator away. The solvent rags go over the side of the trash can. Where's your wet film gauge? Make sure you're putting tags back on the parts. Did you milk check that? Put your tools away. This Chase. Welcome to the second episode of Kaiser Cast. I'm Jace Kaiser, your host, joined by Chloe Lighty, and our guest today is going to be my mother, Sherry Kaiser. We'll get to her in a little bit. We're going to start with open discussion. Uh, overall, this week it was a pretty good week as far as production goes. We're coming up on Christmas break here soon. We're actually going to be taking a full week off pretty typical in manufacturing industry and so we had a lot of projects that are getting crammed in um, but overall we're, we're kind of on track and we got a somewhat of a short week this week so hopefully everything keeps going well how are you doing it's been Chloe? Long. i'm good it's been long days for you guys over there hasn't it yep we've been working a little bit of overtime but we kind of we haven't had to work overtime in a while so i think the guys were actually kind of excited for it earn a little That's extra good. money before the holidays and it sounds like you'll be on track to uh, be off work on Christmas Eve. Yep. Just working a half day on Christmas Eve. So Sweet. Well, today is Jace's origin story. We are going way back to early days, 1987. Um, and Sherry's here to talk about the, the family business and um, how that started. But Jace, I don't think I've ever had this conversation with you before. Um, can we talk a little bit about you growing up around the business, uh, what you saw and learned from your parents and what is next for you? Yeah. So when I was, so the company started in 1987 and I was born in 1992. So it was already going when I was born. I remember it being at our house, Begley, when I was younger, uh, mostly probably because I see pictures of it now. And it was, there was like an office down in our basement and the, uh, detached garage was where like the shop was and where most of the tools and supplies and paint was kept. I don't ever remember seeing the vans, but they must've been there somewhere. Um, the one thing that sticks out in my mind, I do remember the boom trucks. They used to do a lot of exterior painting on houses. So they had boom trucks and I remember going up in that with my dad, I mostly because there's a video of it. I think that's why I remember it. But the main thing that I do remember, like literal memory of myself, and there's no picture or video of it, is my dad was changing the oil in the boom truck out in the driveway. And so when you change the oil, you got to drain all the old oil out, right? Into like a bucket. Okay. So he drained it out into like a five gallon bucket that was um, like cut in half. So mm -hmm. it was, you know, maybe a foot off the ground. 
and at my age, that bucket height met like right about my knees, right? So like, you know how like you have like, you know, the backside of your leg behind your knee, like your knee mm -hmm. pit, I'll call it your yep. knee pit. So <laughs> he started up the boom truck, like after he had the oil change or something, he was doing something, maybe it was another piece of equipment. And I was walking backwards, just trying to get out of the way. I think I was kind of scared. And all of a sudden, like I feel something hit me in the back of the legs, that's right at the knees. And so it bent my knees immediately and my butt just sat right down into the bucket of oil. <laughs> and then like, of course Please I was- tell me that someone got a picture of this. <laughs> I don't think we got a picture of it. We'll ask Sherry about it when we bring her in in a little bit. But- Oh my gosh. Um. I do remember like we had, I remember my clothes getting thrown away and I went to the bathtub right away and I was crying because I was like upset that it happened. So what a mess. So that was Did one of my, I just laugh. I don't really remember what his, I, his typical Jay is like usually initially frustrated when anything like that happens. So I'm sure right away he was like, probably like, well, you didn't see it sitting there. You know, but I think I just, I, I just backed over and I was like, I was really little. So I was, I don't we'll have to ask Sherry, but I was like, I feel like I was like two or three. Like, I feel like I was really young. Um, so your first lesson was to never walk backward across the shop floor. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's like my first memory as far as the other stuff in the business that I don't really remember much growing up after that, because like, then it moved to an act, you know, different like we actually have in a place where the office is now, you know, where the paint shop and mm -hmm. stuff is. So I wasn't really growing up around it day to day at that point, but in like middle school and summers, I would go in and work occasionally, like maybe a few days a week in the shop working on uh, woodworking things, staining and finishing. And then definitely in high school, like that was my summer job, did a little bit of blasting in the blast shop and it pretty much just helped wherever they needed me. And then that kind of led into, you know, that there was enough interest started there then that once I got through college, it was always kind of like, am I going to use my college degree and get an engineering job or am I going to take over the business? Uh, but the reason why I had the thought of maybe taking over the business is because I had kind of worked there growing up. So, and I remember going down to the office quite a bit on like when we were off from school or days off when my younger brother, Jared, and I were probably elementary middle schoolish where mom would need to do some work down at the office and we would go down there with her and play on mm -hmm. like their marker boards their dry erase boards and draw stuff and things like that I, I vaguely remember we would take down like a playstation and like hook mm -hmm. it up to this really tiny tv that was like up in the <laughs> corner it was like a foot by foot screen and it was like split we're split screen trying to play and it was like right in the main walkway. So we'd be like sitting there and this was before wireless controllers. So we had wired controllers like dangling across the walkway in the middle of, you know, in the middle of the office. But like, of course, Jay is always coming in and out of the office. So I'm sure he was frustrated that we were doing that. But I, I do remember that. I think we kind of did that like one summer in particular, for whatever reason, we were just down there a lot. We were maybe not quite old enough to be left at home, but still old enough that we wanted to do our own thing when we were down there type of thing. Like we, we couldn't just like put us in a corner with a tiny toy and keep us occupied. So. Right. And maybe right. not, not quite old enough to work in the shop because we just, you know, 
didn't have the intention span for it yet. Maybe I don't, you know what I mean? What age were you when you started working in the shop? So middle school would have been like 13, 14, 15. Did it come from you or did it come from your dad? I don't know. Like, did you wake up one day and say, Hey, I'm ready. Or was he the one who. I think just like naturally, you know, when you're in middle school and high school, your parents kind of want you to start having some sort of job, whether that's like working at Dairy Queen or raking leaves for the neighbor or something. So I think that's kind of how it started. It wasn't like, Mm -hmm. Oh, we're going to be working 40 hours a week in the summer. It was just more like when you're not at the swimming pool or on a going to the zoo with your cousin, you know, you're going to work, you're going to come down to work with mom basically. And instead of, instead of playing, you know, video games on the TV, being in everybody's Mm -hmm. way that you're going to actually start working on the shop just a little bit. Right. Right. And now years later, look at you. Speaking of which, what did you fix this week? What did I fix? Okay. A couple of things. And I was like thinking about that. I was like happy that stuff broke. So we have something to talk about on the <laughs> podcast, but uh pressure washer twice. Uh, one was, twice. Early, yeah. One was earlier in the week. Uh, there was a float that over time it just wears out. And so then it doesn't quite give you the right amount of water feed into the pressure washer. And so then it'll start stumbling. And Kevin notices it right away because it's really obvious. So I had to replace a float on there. It wasn't too difficult. I did it while he was at lunch. And then yesterday, Friday morning, um, thought it was going to be a pretty good end of the week for like blasting production. We kind of had gotten ahead. Stan did a really good job this week. He had to do a little bit of painting to cover for someone that was gone, but he still was on track with his blasting. And I was like, wow, we're going to be farther ahead than I thought. And then mid morning I was loading a truck and I come in with a forklift and Stan's like, Hey, when you get a minute, I need you to come over to the blast room and look at something that auger had broke. So me and him had to get down in there and he had pretty much had it torn apart already. He just wanted to run a few things by me and how we were going to fix it. So we ended up fixing that auger and got it working. It wasn't too bad, but the auger is what runs underneath the blast floor to reclaim our media. So when that mm. breaks, like you can't keep going because you can't get right. the media back in the pot. And normally it's a mess because I mean the auger is about is the length of the booth width wise. So you're talking like 18 foot long auger. And if it's broke at the far end that you can't get to, you got to peel the floor all up, and it can be a real pain in the butt. Luckily, it was on an end that we could access, and it was a pretty quick fix. Probably only lost a couple hours worth of blasting. And then this morning, the pressure washer had an issue again. Uh, we were, a couple guys were working today to get a few jobs done and somebody was doing maintenance on the pressure washer and then told me that there, it was leaking and they thought that maybe the heating coil was broke in there in the pressure washer. Cause it's a heated pressure washer. And that's a big deal if the coil, cause it's just, it's like a, uh, cast iron pipe. So if that cracks and breaks, you're pretty much done for, you got to just buy a new coil or at that point you just buy a new pressure washer. So when they told me that I was like, Ooh, this is not going to be good. Luckily it was just a a line that was loose and it where the water ended up running out looked like it was dripping off of the coil Mm. and like the coil was broke, but it was actually just a loose line. So just put some Teflon tape on it and got it tightened back up. It it must've just loosened up from vibration over time. 
So none of them were too bad. Everything kind of worked out pretty good. Could have been disasters, but, you know, it gave us something to talk about. When's the last time you went a week without fixing something? Oh, probably never. I So you will always have an answer to this question. Yeah, I would say so. Because even if something's not broke, then I'm trying to make something better. I enjoy working on equipment. It's just, it's a bummer if it hurts production significantly. We try to have enough equipment and enough um, uh, redundancy that if something breaks, we have another piece of equipment that an operator can move to and keep going while I sit there and fix or we order a part and have to wait a few days. So... We do pretty good with that, but every once in a while, you know, you just have to get in and fix it right away. Right. I mean, it's probably the most hands-on application you have for your college degree at this point, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, to me, it's like working on race cars and I don't get to do that hardly at all anymore. And that's what I enjoy doing. So getting in and figuring out why something's wrong and then taking it apart, putting it back together. That's what I really enjoy doing. So great so do you have a social media tip of the week for us this week i do actually i was having a conversation with a friend of mine who has a small business um, and she was stressing about social media and she was reading all these books and these articles and she was getting all this advice from friends who have tried this and that and the other thing and they were telling her all about it and she was feeling overwhelmed and i told her Um, And this is my advice for anyone who kind of feels overwhelmed by social media in their business life right now is that done is better than perfect. I told her to stop reading and stressing and I told her to just start making posts because at this point, done is better than perfect. Um, And she really took that to heart actually and she's been posting quite a bit and she's seen some good returns. So if you are feeling overwhelmed with social media, if you're feeling overwhelmed with the constantly changing platforms and all of the trends, Don't worry about perfecting everything you're trying to do. Just do something. That's great advice. I totally agree with that. That's a really, really good point. People need to hear that more too. Yes. Posting something is better than posting nothing because you're paralyzed. Yeah, I remember, uh, I think I just, I heard this maybe, or it was like a theme of Apple, maybe Steve Jobs. I don't know exactly, but they're, kind of mantra was always to get to get the first draft out there like let's say mm-hmm. ipod or iphone or whatever get it out there even if it doesn't work 100 percent, that's fine your customers will tell you what's wrong with it then you can yep. then you can do make the next one or make updates and additions because you're way better off getting it out there you're never going to make it perfect if you sit there exactly and work on it work on it work on it. there's still going to be stuff wrong so you might as well just get it out there so you can find find more stuff wrong with it Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So just start posting, see what happens. And I, I, I find that with, I kind of have to remind myself of that on our own content for our own mm-hmm. social media. When we first started, you and I were the ones that were working on it. And it was the first time we really were posting regularly is the first time that I had somebody else making posts. And so like naturally I wanted to be very critical and approve absolutely everything and read through every single word. Oh, I don't like that word. Oh, I'm not sure about that angle on that picture. Mm-hmm. And over time I've slowly kind of relaxed on that. And now it's just kind of like, if you've, 
if, if you've made the post, kind of trust your judgment. And as long as there isn't something glaring at me, I just go ahead and approve it. Even if I'm like, eh, I don't know. I don't know if I personally would post that myself on my own personal social media. Cause I'm, I'm afraid of what someone might think of me. Now right. I, I just kind of, I just tell myself like, just post it. Just. Yeah. And then, and yeah. then the audience will tell us if they like it or not. If there's a lot of comments and likes, well, we should do more like that. If they no engagement, then they don't. If someone posts a bad comment, dissing you about it, you just know to yourself, well, I kind of knew going in that this one might've not been perfect, but I just went with it to try it. Right. So, Right. So it's almost like constructive criticism if you if you just take it in the right way. Yeah. And it's the blessing and the curse of social media. It's like this river that never stops flowing. So say you post a bad post one day, guess what? It's not there tomorrow. Right? Like everybody's forgotten. It's a blip on the screen. It's a moment in time. You've learned something and move forward. That's a good point. Also, not everybody is going to see your post anyway. Also that. Yep. Again, a blessing and a curse. All right. Well, I think it's time to bring in Sherry Kayser. That's my mother. She's going to be our first guest on our podcast on this is episode two. Her nickname in the family is Receipt Lady. <laughs> and we'll find out why. We'll ask her some questions of why we call her Receipt Lady. So welcome to the show, Sherry. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you. I'm honored to be your first guest. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. I think Chloe has quite a few questions for you, so I'm going to let her get started. All right. I have nothing but questions. So many <laughs> questions. I'm really happy you're here. Um, I would love to start back in 1987. That's the date that's in my head as the date that all of this kind of started. Um, so can you take us back to 1987? Tell us a little bit about how old you were. Um, what was going on in your life and where the idea for Kayser Painting Inc. came from? In 1987, I was 23, going to be 24. I was planning a wedding, and uh, Jay decided he wanted to start a business. So that kind of happened at the same time. Did he spring it on you one day, or did you know this was coming? He'd been talking about it for a few months and was just kind of really unhappy with what he was, you know, doing. He was painting at the time for, um, he was a painter for, it was a friend of his and he wanted to, he was originally from a farm and you kind of wanted to go back and be a farmer, checked into that, but that wasn't really panning out. And he had an automotive degree from SEC. So he thought he wanted his own, he wanted his own business because he, he knew he was a hard worker and he wanted to reap the benefits from that. So then he thought his own automotive business, but that that would require quite a bit of investment and we didn't have, we didn't have any money back then. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so then he decided painting because that didn't require very much of an investment to get started. You just needed a van and a ladder and, you know, some tools. So I was supportive. I had a good job. I said, you know, go for it. Might as well do it now. We don't have kids. We don't have a house payment. We're just renting. Right, right. I mean, he was already painting at the time, too. Did he love it? Is that, did that play into it at all? Or was it just because logistically it was easy to start a painting business? Yes, more logistically. He didn't love that. His, his love was farming. 
definitely. That's what uh-huh. he would have loved to get back to. So he's never necessarily loved what he does, <laughs> but he found sure. hobbies in his hobbies. He enjoyed those. Sure. And most of all, it sounds like he wanted to be his own boss. Yes. Yes. Okay. So he tells you this and you're supportive at this point. Are you married? No, this is before we were married. This okay. is, this is like, we got married in May of 87. This is like January. February he's starting to and he's kind of pulling me along <laughs> on these little ideas and I'm like oh, dude I'm planning a wedding here I'm working full time I don't have time to be thinking about <laughs> you know but so then he decided about a I guess we uh, I can't remember all the exact specifics but he ended up quitting his job a week before we got married to start a the business before yes Wow. Yeah. And I was wow. fine. I was fine with it. I had a job. I hadn't, um, I had an accounting degree from UNL and I had a job at LTNT and I guess I was making okay money. I don't know. When I look back on it and there wasn't very much, but, um, yeah. So, he, so what did your, what did your dad have to say about that? Or my <laughs> grandpa at the time? Well, so it's funny because when we decided that I knew he was a hard worker and I knew whatever he did, he would, you know, make something happen. And if it, if, and if it didn't, he would find something. And, um, so (laughs) when we told my dad, I mean, he was really cool about it. He didn't say anything at the time out loud. He just like, okay. But later on we found out, he thought, Oh my God, this man is marrying my daughter and he's quitting his job. And now I'm going to have to support both of them. And, just, and that's what, how many years before that came out? It was a long time, long time. Yeah. After we became pretty successful and yeah, we, that was uh, something he'd bring up every now and then at the holiday dinner table and we'd all laugh. But I also remember like telling people at work, yeah, he's going to quit his job and, starts on business, you know, right. This was right before we were getting married. And I, I never thought anything of it then I was so young and I, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden these people were going like, Oh, and all of a sudden I got this like, Oh my God, they think he's just quitting and he's not going to do anything. He's going to live off of me. You know, that's what everybody kind of thought. But I never, so that, that never that- crossed my mind. Cause I knew he was a hard worker and he can't sit still. Sounds like people were not terribly supportive. Is that accurate? Yeah, probably. I mean, nobody said, oh, you know, what a great idea. <laughs> no, I right. think they were all pretty skeptical. I mean, when you hear somebody's going to start their own business, I mean, that takes a lot, you know. It does. Yeah, it does. Were you being given any advice? I mean, were you either seeking advice from people or just being given unsolicited advice (laughs) (laughs) I don't really remember too much advice I know like my dad had an insurance agent and he had a accountant and so I remember you know contacting them to find out what we should be doing and I remember the accountant he's a good friend now but I remember he kind of went well, you're not making any money yet. So I don't think you need to talk to me, but when you do, <laughs> then I'll need to... and he was, he told us later, he was skeptical because whatever, whatever it is, 
how many businesses fail to how many succeed. You know, there's more that. Right. And then once he met Jay and he saw what a hard worker he was, that he was going to work. So this is like mm-hmm. actually really interesting, uh, not to interrupt, but so some of these people that you guys uh, started out talking to right away, or your mom that you, that you seeked out, they're still some of the people that we do, that we work with today, that we seek advice from today. And they've been kind of, have become mentors of me and I really enjoy talking to them. Is that right? Yes. Yes. They're still with us today. So they got on board once they saw that the vision was unfolding, they got on board, which is great. Yes. Um, what was your, you touched a little bit on this. Uh, what was your previous work experience in education? Where were you coming from to all of this? Yes. Um, I had a degree from UNL. I'd graduated in 85, May of 85, um, with an accounting degree and why I was getting that I did, I had, um, a couple different bookkeeping jobs. And so I could take care of all the, the office work and the paperwork that would come with the business was, I guess, kind of what I thought. I don't know if I really thought or if I just did it. Mm-hmm. I was so young. I was like naive. I just, you know. <laughs> At that time, yeah. were you s- super crazy about making sure you had a receipt for everything? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> These yes. rates go way back, Jace. They go way back. Listen, in bookkeeping, She's the receipts account- is what you make the entries off of. And <laughs> if you ever get audited, you have to have your receipts. <laughs> and if I don't have the receipts, I don't know, like, if there's a charge on the visa or if there's you know, a check and I don't have the receipt, I don't know what it goes with. I know. I've learned very well now. I know that. I didn't. I When I was... So when when I started racing and and I started kind of making more of the decisions for the racing and started buying parts, I learned very quickly that I needed to make sure I had a receipt for everything because mom kept track of the books for that too. Even though it was a hobby, you still got to keep track of where, where the money's going and everything and because there is some income, uh, usually way more expenses than income in that. So I learned then that the receipts were extremely important and I would have like a, a, just a special pile and write on there what they were for and what category like what it what is this you know is this tires and fuel or is this is this an engine or is this a part or a shock and um now i do that at at the business with all our expenses for that so it was a good way to learn we just like giving sherry hard time because she is always after everybody about receipts but it's been uh been uh, part of our success i think that she it sure. has looked after the book so closely so that's where the receipt lady nickname comes from. I guess I thought my name was the question lady, but because I also get <laughs> razzed about that. I ask too many questions, but. Sounds like you're a detail oriented person. Yeah, I am. I get lost in the details. That's one thing where me and Jay made a good team. I think I will get lost in the details and he can see the big picture and okay. he, he'll, he'll just kind of like, you know, something just don't worry about all them details. That's not that important and work because he can, you know, so we make a good team, I think. Was that the case in 1987 as well? Or have you sort of evolved into that as a team as you've been married and working together all these years? I think it was probably the same dynamics. Didn't necessarily recognize it at the time. And we always each had our own area. Like, you know, I did the bookkeeping, which he knew nothing about and didn't want to know anything about. And he 
you know, he knew about all the painting and the bidding and, and then he actually did the work and I didn't want to know about that part mm -hmm. of it. And so we didn't like cross over into each other's area and like, you know, well, how come you're doing it that way? And why don't you do this? And why don't you do that? I mean, the only, the only crossover would be, where's my receipts? I need my receipts. Right. And, um, so I think that's the reason why it's worked yep. so long because we had our own separate areas. Yeah. That you sort of, I mean, it happened, it sounds like very organically, right? Yeah. He was the painter and you were the accountant and yeah. those skills complemented each other. Yeah. Um, wow. So what were, um, my question is what were your major stressors at that time? But I mean, I can probably fill in some of those blanks. You're planning a wedding, you're starting a business, you're 24 years old. Um, is there anything else? Like I mean, what else were you dealing with at that time? Well, there just those two. I mean, uh, before, yeah, to me, the stressor was I'm planning this wedding and you're trying to start this business and can't, mm -hmm. you know, can't we get this wedding done? And then, but he's always been, you always overlap and you always start something else before you finish something else. But there wasn't a whole lot others because we didn't have any kids and, um, you know, we didn't own our house yet. We didn't, we didn't have anything to lose at the time, sure. which so, um, the, the only other, I guess, became a little bit of a stress was, so I was working full time and then there was a time there where they had us working overtime, but then I also had to take care of all the business. So I had to do that after hours and on the weekends and on my vacations. Um, and so when it got to be overwhelming with the business doing both, sure. that became a big stress. When I said, how that. long did you have that overlap? Um, I had that till 1990 for about three and a half years. It's a long time. And then we moved. That's when we bought our first house and we had the, had the business out there. And then shortly after that start had, had Jace and then three years, Jared, three years later, Jared. So then that became a stress for me to right. do the business and take care of the kids. I want to go back to Jace's uh, falling into the bucket story, and I want to hear it from your perspective. Well, I saw it happen. I was out there. <laughs> um, I just happened to go out there then, and I had Jared on my hip because he was like, Jace was four and Jared was one. And, and yeah, Jace started up the boom truck or something. I think it kind of scared Jace, and he was backing up. And I, like, saw it, like, in slow motion, like that it was happening, but I couldn't, just as I was saying, watch out, his caught him at the knees and plop, he flopped into the oil and he stood. <laughs> Jay got mad like he does, like, what are you, did you see that oil there? And I'm like, Jay, how can you see up there? You know, what do you got it sitting out there for anyway? And, and Jay started crying and <laughs> Jay got him out of there. It's like, oh my God, what? he was all worried. I don't know what he was worried about, what the oil was going to do to him. And I'm like, just take his clothes off out here. Don't bring that oil in the house. Just strip him bare here. We'll take him in the house and it'll be fine. And I'm not washing those oily clothes. He's grown out of them anyway. Well, you know, throw them away. It was funny though. It was, that was hilarious. Cause it's like, why, it's why do you have a bucket cut off half? I don't, it was so it would fit under, obviously fit under there and catch the oil, but 
that it just caught Jay was just Jace was just the right size that caught him the back of his knees as he was walking backwards. <laughs> oh my gosh. That was his first brush with the family business. That bucket still exists to this day, and it was used to change oil in race cars as well. So it's, it's a constant <laughs> reminder whenever I see it. It'll go in the Kayser Museum as part of the lore. But that, actually, that wasn't his first brush. When he was a little tiny, when he was like 18 months old, 18 months to two, Jay used to take him on Saturday mornings down to the paint um, store. And they get donuts and I don't know what Jay was doing. Cause I mean, he always worked on Saturdays too, but he would take, as long as I had him ready and dressed, he'd mm -hmm. take Jace down there for a little bit and, and, uh, they got a kick out of him cause Jace started talking really young. So they'd all get a kick out of talking to him and. Wow. So he was in the environment from yeah early days. Yeah. And that gave, that must've given you a bit of a break. Yeah, that was really nice. Those couple hours <laughs> Saturday mornings when you take him. <laughs> I'm sure. Because Jace was a high maintenance child. <laughs> Still am. <laughs> so, Sherry, was there a point at which you looked around your business and started to feel like, hey, this is working? Um, yeah, when that first year, um, it was about halfway into it. Or so I remember it was like December of 87. Jay came home one day and said he'd gotten a um a home builder because we were painting houses then who wanted him to do all their houses. And then like within a week or so of that, we got another one. So we had two of them. And um that was a big deal because it kind of started with some remodeling jobs, which those were not fun to do and it was good to be hooked up with some home builders and do doing brand new homes. That's a way, way nicer way to paint than repaint. Absolutely. Um, and at what point did you start hiring uh, team members? That's a good question. I know he had one person helping him probably pretty much from, it was probably when we got those home builders when he started and he had different people, just one or two people that kind of changed in and out for a year or two before he kind of settled on some full-time helpers. Mm -hmm. So at this time is, I mean, are you, when you look down the road into the future um, as 1987 you, are you picturing what Kaiser Painting Inc. is today? Is that what you're working toward? Oh, no. Or are you just taking it one day at a time? Yeah, I had no idea. No, I was just, yeah, one day at a time. I, yeah, to what to what it is now with, because well, the blasting and the powder now too and all that, that, mm -hmm. no, that wasn't, I was just, you know, wanting to buy a house and have babies and, you know, just like everybody. I was just young. <laughs> sure. So I think anyone who starts a business expects certain challenges along the way, but were there any challenges that surprised you or anything that came up that you weren't expecting? Um, I think how many hours Jay has worked and always has, I didn't really grasp how many hours that would be. Sure. And that, and there's, you never, 
never hardly ever get to go on vacation. I mean, that's very minimal. And um, I didn't get to take time off when I had the babies and stuff like that because, mm-hmm. you know, it's us. We're the ones who do the work. That's just what it is. I didn't think about that back in the beginning. Has that changed at all over the years or has that been, has that stayed true for 33 years now? Pretty true for 33 years. We, we, yeah. we're the ones that do the work. Yep. I mean, we have, I mean, we have a team of people too, the painters and stuff, but, and, and now recently within the last year, Jace has gotten help with all the paperwork I do. But up until then, I was the only one doing all the paperwork. Right. Do you ever envision a future in which that's not the case? Or do you think that this is, this is your project forever? Well, no, I mean, (laughs) I'm getting too, getting old here. I don't think I can do this forever. I don't think Jace wants me to do it forever. Um, I would like to, I like to work, you know, do my, I'd like to do just my accounting work and not all the other stuff. Okay. Cause there was like HR stuff that I never thought about, you know, everything that come in the mail came across my desk and I had to deal with it. Sure. You were the go-to person in addition to being the receipt lady. Yeah. Yeah. You did everything. So at, at any point in this journey, did you expect that your son would join the family business or was that a surprise? And how did all of that come about? No, I, we did not expect that. I mean, he was, you know, going to college to be a mechanical engineer and, um, and I don't think Jay really wanted the boys to come into the business. Um, he wanted something else for them because he knew how many hours he worked, you know, and, uh, but Jay started, he expanded into the blast and the powder and it was, was the powder about a year before you graduated from college? Yeah, I helped right before I went back for my senior year of college. I helped put in the oven and powder coating booth and like sprayed the first little bit of powder. Right. So, was that your idea, Jace? What? What the the powder? Or was that your dad's vision? No, that was start? that was my dad. Okay. Because the powder coating kind of goes along with blasting. So there was a lot of people starting to ask if we powder coated and we didn't. So sometimes we would just outsource it to other people mm-hmm. in town that powder coated, which there's not that many in Lincoln. And so then I think dad just naturally was like, well, if people want the service done, we might as well keep going. Like his, he just keeps going, you know, he, he never stops. Mm-hmm. He just, he keeps adding and, well, you know, what's whatever's next. If he doesn't have something he's working on, then he's bored. So mm-hmm. that was just the next, like the blasting was a pretty big thing. His first branch out from painting. And that at that time had been, you know, when we started powder cutting, it was 10 years earlier when blasting was started. So he, I think was just ready for a new challenge. So that's why that kind of came about. And then it was just, it timed out to where like, you know, I talked about earlier, I was worked in the summers in high school, but then in college, right? Like I'm thinking about like, I need to be an adult. I need to be, I'm trying to make money. So after college, like I have something saved so I can, you know, cause I was still living at home when I was in college and I didn't want to do that when I graduated or didn't think that was okay to still do that when I graduated. So I was trying to work as much as I could and where they needed me that summer was 
just helping put up the powder coating equipment because like I'm, I'm cheap labor, right? Like, you know, or cheaper than, <laughs> cheaper than somebody that you might have to hire that's like specialized in it or, you know, so I, I was just there and I had enough mechanical inclination from working on race cars that I knew what wrenches and bolts and stuff was like, we, I didn't know exactly about all the pieces of equipment, but it, it's just putting stuff together, you know? So that's where I kind of just fit in on that. And then, and then after I finished my senior year of college, then that was kind of after that, I, I really didn't know if I wanted to go into the business, but kind of that summer of putting the powder coating together and kind of, cause I was kind of working on my own, kind of working with another guy and, and dad wasn't over there constantly. But since I kind of put that together and what helped make some decisions on how, where things went, I kind of was the first one to learn how to spray it. Then I kind of felt tied to it just a little, like it was almost mm -hmm. an option. Like, well, I could, when I graduate, I could go back and just work in the powder coating shop. And that seems kind of weird after having a four year degree now, but like, maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'm just going to take over the company someday. But then I was also considering maybe going to grad school. And so I was just kind of weighing my options back and forth and they just got really busy. And uh, I think Sherry was getting ready to say that Jay couldn't, couldn't kind of wrap his arms around everything anymore. Basically, yeah. he could, but they none of them could grow any bigger, really. Sure. And I don't. Well, he was was he getting stressed? I can't quite remember. I I don't really know what his feeling was. I think he wanted me to probably go to grad school and didn't want me to come in the business, but he also was needing my help. I'm not sure. Well, yeah, the way I remember it was, I mean, the blast in powder was getting to the point where. Jay couldn't be in two places at once and he just physically needed to be in the paint and the boss of powder. It was, it was a very, very stressful time in and they were still racing too. That mm -hmm. was their hobby, which took up a lot of time. And I remember Jay saying, well, what do you think I should do mom? Should I, you know, go on and get my master's and because he could have gotten it for free working at UNL cause the professor he's tied up with and stuff. And, and I said, well, I, I really don't know. I said, what I do know is I think if you go on and get your master's, maybe your PhD, I don't know if the Boston powder will still be here in three, four years for you to come back to if that's something you think you want to do just because right. the stress level was through the roof. I didn't sure. know if Jay could hold on to all that. Um, so then Jay so decided... Was that a catalyst for you, Jace, was hearing that? Yeah, because I didn't want that opportunity to go away. You know, that was kind of, I was lucky growing up because I felt like I always had the opportunity in my back pocket of if what I did didn't work out. You know, if I was struggling with school or if I went and got a job and that didn't work out, it was always this pretty much common knowledge for me and my brother that, well, we can just go work for dad, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we, that yeah. was a big luxury. And I even think, like I remember mom and dad even saying that to make us maybe feel a little more comfortable about taking our own risks, you know, or for we were, did bad on a test. I mean, we, me and my brother were pretty good academically, but we were really hard on ourselves. And I, dad, especially remember him saying, well, you know, if everything goes to crap and it doesn't work out, you can always come work at Kaiser Painting. But for him, that was kind of like a last resort for us because he just didn't want us to work as many hours, essentially. That was the only reason why, I think, is because he felt like that he 
didn't get to do all the things he wanted to do because he's always working and he didn't want us to experience that same exact thing, which I'm experiencing now. And it's right. It's been fine for me because I'm younger, but I think he's thinking about, you know, when he started having kids and the family, the, the family time suffered. So, yeah. Sherry, did you feel the same apprehension watching Jace step into this? I mean, were you concerned about the hours and the stress and all of that as well? Yeah, because I, I mean, I kind of wanted him to go on and get the higher degrees because he was so smart and I knew he could do it. Um, but then I also knew he didn't, you know, he wasn't married yet and didn't have a family, so the hours wouldn't matter as much, you know. Mm-hmm. And he stepped in and he ha- took it and he took it above and beyond what we could have ever imagined. I mean, he brought his skills and his knowledge from, um, you know, technically and all the computers. I mean, we were using computers and stuff, but, you know, he brought so much more into it and then getting new software to help keep track. Cause that's the other thing, the blast and the powder was, it was like, we, we need things to be tagged and marked and they weren't yet. And it was all in Jay's head. And it was like, Oh my God, this thing is just, how do you know what's where and for who, for, you know, who's is what. And, and Jace jumped on that man. And he, cause you know, a lot of young kids coming into their parents' business could go, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll be the manager and they're off golfing or whatever, you know, right. I'm working 40 or less hours. Well, he jumped right in there was working just as many or more hours than Jay. And sure. when we say a lot of hours, we're talking, you know, four or five in the morning till six or seven at night, uh-huh. Monday through Friday, and then on Saturday, and then sometimes it's on Sunday too, and right. no vacations. I mean, they just work, 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 work. So, was it hard for Jay to um, to let the blasting and coding side go, or did he find a lot of relief in that? Um, I think there was relief. At least there was on my part. I he does have a hard time. He he's a micromanager and he mm-hmm. still wanted to know how it all worked. Cause he was still afraid. Like, well, what if in a year Jace decides he wants to go back to school and, and Jay wanted to be sure he could do handle the business, do everything sure. that Jace had put in place. And then it, it I mean, it, it just <laughs> got to be, there's no way he could, but right. he still would try and he'd okay. get frustrated sometimes if things happened that, he didn't know ahead of time about, but right. That's life. But then so, he slowly uh, started kind of letting that go. I mean, I, it transitioned pretty well. It did. Uh, um, yeah. and, and I, th- and I credit that a lot to racing because my dad and I worked really closely together for a lot of years racing and the transition, um, happened in our racing from when I was young and dad was the one driving it. Uh, not driving the car, but, but pushing the, the whole racing thing. Right. And he was the one knowing what equipment to buy and how we're going to set the car up and where we're going to go race and, and what everything costs. And obviously when I first started, it was smaller scale. So the expense wasn't as much, but racing is, gets expensive quickly. And that had kind of on the racing side had kind of morphed when I got to college and as dad got busier at work, 
the racing side just kind of morphed into me kind of, I, I just started to take it over, started to learn more about it and go to seminars. So then I was kind of doing more of the setups and then, then I was kind of ordering parts because I knew the parts that I wanted. And, um, and I kind of just took that part over the motor and drive train side. My dad still took care of, but there was a, there was a definite transition into where I was kind of calling the shots and I was deciding where we were going to race. And I was the one finding sponsorship money and, and trying to make sure that we stayed on a budget as much as you can in racing. You know, there's really, usually the budget goes out the window after the first week, but you, you try to know like, okay, we have this much sponsorship dollars coming in. So this is roughly what we can, you know, we can't go buy this brand new. We need to find it good used. And so I was kind of keeping track of all that. And so that model and in us being able to do that in the racing where it was more of a hobby leisure thing, it was easier to do. Mm -hmm. But then when it came to the business, it just kind of repeated itself. Mm -hmm. So we kind of yeah. already had that dynamic down and we're used to working alongside each other and, and the, you know, being a father son, but also, you know, in racing kind of driver car owner a little too. Yeah. Right. Because like he had expectations of how we should, um, finish and succeed on the racetrack because he was still putting in a lot of effort. Like, uh, mom said, you know, it got to the point to where at the business that once he started powder coating, he it was just a big stressor, but also at that same time, everybody needs to realize that, that was when we were in our heaviest of racing. Okay. So mm -hmm. 2012 and 2013 were my biggest racing seasons ever. We raced the most we'd ever had. We had the most success we ever had. Uh, we were working on the cars the most we ever had. And so that time is right before powder coating started, right? We started putting, you know, I worked the summer of 2014 to, to put the booths and stuff in. But when booths are getting put in, Jay had already been thinking about this for two years, right? So he's thinking about it way ahead before, you know, because equipment was bought six or eight months before we're installing it. And so six or eight months before that is when he started thinking about us. So he's kind of thinking about that in the middle of, you know, really heavy racing. And, and, you know, I, I don't know how he did it. Um, and I've talked to him about it a little bit and we'll have him on the, the podcast here and maybe in, in a few weeks, hopefully if he's willing to do it and we'll ask him some questions and, but mom can probably talk about it a little, I'm just the, as much as I work now, is what he used to do. He may work. He works probably a little less now, but not much. Um, mm -hmm. But what I'm doing uh, with the as big as the blasting and powder is, and as much time as I'm spending with it, I was reflecting back on. You know, we don't race anymore. We stopped racing kind of because of work a little bit. Mm -hmm. Racing just wasn't quite as fun anymore. Um, but anyway. I was the other day I was thinking about like, there's no, po if I wanted to race, cause I think about it from time to time, there's no possible way I could start racing at the level that we were racing at before with as much as I work because there were, sure. I needed time to work on the race cars. And I was thinking about, I was like, I don't know how dad was doing this before, you know, he's essentially running on no sleep, you know? And, mm -hmm. and, and when we were, when we had those two really good years, that's when I was kind of the driving force and I was doing a lot of the work, but he was still always there. Like he was at every race. He was driving the hauler to every race. You know, he was always working on the engine every week. 
he was really big on the body. So if I tore the car up bad, I'm fixing the suspension components and everything, but he's fixing the body and mm-hmm. he's taking care of the engine maintenance. So he was out in the shop every night till, you know, 10, 11 at night, turn around, getting up at three thirty, four in the morning, going to work, working all day, you know, coming home, getting in the hauler drives, you know, and we don't get done racing until sometimes two in the morning, you know, so he's a lot for those couple of years, there was a lot of nights that he was up for almost 24 hours had to be especially on Fridays. Wow. Um, and you know, if we would, we were traveling a little bit and we'd race on Sunday nights somewhere far from home, we don't get back till three in the morning and you know, he's normally getting up almost at three. Right. right? So, um, and it wasn't like he was sleeping on the way home and I was driving. No, I was, right. I wasn't, necessarily going to work the next morning you know but i was sleeping on the way home he's he's driving and uh because at that time i i wasn't quite necessarily work i i i had the luxury of i was working during my college years but it was almost got to the point when we were racing that much and we were having a lot of success that was kind of my job right i wasn't getting paid from it, but there were sponsorship associated with it that we had to perform and hold up our end of the bargain. Mm-hmm. So it kind of mm-hmm. was like, that was my job at the time. In those summers, mm-hmm. I was still working at Kaiser painting, but maybe it was four days a week. Maybe it was three okay. days a week, you know, maybe it was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, because we got home really late on Sunday. So I just slept in on Monday, worked on race cars all day, Monday, then work, went to work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then took Friday off to get the race cars finished so we could go again um but when it got to the point to where i couldn't necessarily do that anymore when i started working full-time in the business that's when we kind of started at least i got to the point where like this is racing wasn't fun anymore um Mm -hmm. but yeah i I just i don't know how he did that um i definitely couldn't do it but he he likes to be busy and 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 it drives him to be better i think the the racing got his mind off of work, so it kind of energized him to go back to work, even though maybe physically he was tired, mentally he was kind of re-energized because he got a break from, you know, Friday afternoon till till Monday morning from he didn't think about work at all, and I think that's why we, right. why he enjoyed racing so much. And it built a really solid foundation, it sounds like, for you guys to work together as closely as you do. Um, yeah. how did you, how did you and Sherry achieve that work balance? I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> Mom? Well, first of all, <laughs> poor Jace, the, the one summer that he was, there was one summer he actually did some estimating. He was doing office work and we had to put his desk in my office and my office was really small. So he had to, and his brother Jared just laughs his head off about that. You had to work in the same <laughs> office as Bob. Oh my gosh! And when he did, when he did, when he did come to work full time, then the first thing he did was he moved his office into the other building. Let's <laughs> get as far away from his muscle. <laughs> my biggest complaint was if if you if you guys could hear her eat. it's just and i I had you know i get annoyed really easily that's just the way i am but if you could hear her just snack on stuff it's it's just very long and drawn out it's not like just eat and get done this is that juicy kaiser content that i am here for (laughs) i love it i love it 
I, I was love it. I trying. Like... I I was trying to eat my chips quietly because he was annoyed when I'd eat my potato chips. So then it made it long and drawn out. And I was just as happy as he was when he was out of my office and I could eat my chips however I wanted. <laughs> but it was, you know, we were, I was still living at home at the time, you know, and, and naturally, you know, kids start to get annoyed with their parents just kind of by like human nature, you know, so you can, can fly away out of the nest. And so I think that was just happening. And yes. vice versa too, right, Sherry? Yes. Well, I've always, I stayed out of his way when he was at home. Cause he would get up earlier than me. So I just tried to stay out of his way. So it was, wasn't so much like he was living at home and that's what I did with Jay too. I, I learned, I lived in a family of men. So I learned just how to try to stay out of their way. Mm-hmm. You know, if something I was doing was annoying them. I tried to, mm-hmm. yeah. It's a hard balance to strike. So when you guys are together as a family, like around the dinner table or whatever, even now, um, for holidays and stuff, is it, do you just talk business all the time or how do you, how do you navigate those boundaries? How do you exist as a family and also exist as a business and do both at the same time or do them separately? Um, sometimes there's stuff we need to talk about and Jace probably wants to talk about it more than me and Jay do. I think Jay and I, me in particular, I don't, I, I want to, when it's the weekend, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, they always work Saturdays. I try not to go down there on the weekends unless I, there's a reason that I absolutely have to. Um, so, but then there's also times that's the only time we have to talk about certain things is when we're a family, just us at the, you know, the dinner table. Usually if somebody's not interested, they set the boundary and just say, we're done. We're not talking about this anymore. Yeah. Yep. What advice that's sort of leading into this, what advice would you have for someone who either is starting their own business or is looking to go into business with family members? Um, is there any caution that you'd give them or encouragement or tips? Well, I did tell, um, there was a cousin, her and her husband were going into business together. He's starting a dental business. And I said, be sure you get someone to clean the house. Ah, cause I didn't do that in the beginning. I said, if you're working with him at work too, you don't need to be the one to come in. Cause I said, he's not going to do it. He's not going to come home and do the laundry. He's not going to come home and clean the house. He's not going to go to the grocery store. He's not going to be cooking the meals. Mm-hmm. So, you know, get some help right away because it will just be less of a stressor on the marriage. If you Absolutely. do that and you'll enjoy what you're doing way more, you know, at work. That Absolutely. was, that was as a, a woman to a woman. I'm sure yep. Jay would have different advice. Mm-hmm. Jace, do you have any advice working for your parents or with your parents? Um, well, you have to have a really good relationship. I think, you know, yeah. I, I've always had a good relationship with my mom and dad, my dad, especially, I think just because of racing, I guess is mm-hmm. why I think that why our relationship. So we know how to disagree and, and be mad at each other but still go ahead and be able to proceed forward. Or we know how to have a, just a throw down screaming match. But then the next day we don't even talk about us. It's done. It's in the past. And so we learned that through racing very much. I would just say, you know, you just have to have a good relationship. You have to have, um, all parties have to have empathy. 
and you have to you have to want what's best for the other half i think obviously parents are always going to want what's best for their children but as a child you kind of have to also keep in mind what's best for your parents too which is sometimes hard mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. yeah i mean i you know, they were the one who kind of created a platform right so it, it's a balance because um when you're working a lot of hours and you feel like that you're helping build right um sometimes you forget that something was already kind of built for you to start you know, mm-hmm. not to take away from other children that are working in a family business but even if you're working really really hard and you grew it right start came in like i did what came in at powder where it was just brand new and i was pretty much i was grew that i saw it from the mm-hmm. beginning and so i feel like most of that is my doing and if i wasn't there it wouldn't have happened but at the same time I had nothing to do with deciding that those booths were going to be put in and having the capital and taking the risk to just branch out and do that. That was already done by my parents. So I have to pause sometimes and think about like, there's value there, right? Like if I would have had to start from absolute scratch, finish my four year degree and like, Oh, I'm going to go do powder coating. Okay. So I got to go get a building. I have, you know, I have nothing at that point. I would have nothing. You know, building mm-hmm. equipment and you know resources and and no people and and so all that was there yeah i kind of took it and ran with it but mm-hmm. if that wasn't there i definitely wouldn't be where it is today so I, I think that there just has to be some empathy and just have to have a good relationship i think there's probably a lot of um children and parents that wouldn't work well together if, if mm-hmm. they didn't have a good family relationship going up and you weren't a very close family probably not going to work to do business together if you already right. dislike each other for whatever reason. So what you're saying sort of ties back to what you were saying earlier, like looking back on your dad, putting in all of these hours at work and then putting in all of these hours of racing. Um, I think there's this magical moment that happens if you have a healthy relationship with your parents as an adult, where you wake up one morning and you realize like, okay, I'm, you know, 26. When my mom was 26, she had three kids and she was doing this and she was doing that and they had no money and they made it work. And I have this like newfound respect, right? Because I now know as this person who is, you know, whatever age, what it's like to be this age. And I can't imagine doing what my parents did at that age back then. Because I'm getting to the Um, age where my parents had me. Yeah. And I'm like, there's no way I could be a parent right now. Like, and do what I'm doing. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think that the respect that comes with that is really important. It's certainly if you're going to business, but even just if you plan to have any kind of relationship with your parent as an adult. Yeah. Um, just realizing, yeah, what's been built for you and what was going on before you even realized it was going on. Absolutely. That's awesome. Well, Sherry, we really, really appreciate your time here. I have one last question for you, hopefully a fun one. I want to know what you envision your life looking like after Kaiser painting. What is your next chapter? Well, I would like to go on some vacations. <laughs> Where? Where? Probably someplace warm with the beach and the sand and just relax. And that's always been our big thing. Like, we didn't even have a honeymoon because we had, like, one night, and then Jay went to get back. There was a week planned, but <laughs> we came back after one night so he could get started on the business. That should have been my clue. 
Uh-huh. He's just not a good vacation person. He just likes to work. So, but I would like some vacation and uh just some downtime, just, you know, taking things slower. He likes it at full speed. He gets bored real easy. I don't get bored that sure. easy. And and possibly, I mean, I probably if he's going to keep working, um you know, I might want to do something like with kids. I mean, originally I was going to be a teacher and I changed my major in college. I wouldn't mind, you know, working as a parent or something at a school and helping little kids, you know, learn how to read or something like that. I like little kids. If I get bored, maybe I'll be happy just to putter around. I don't know. Maybe someday I'll have grandkids, but I don't know. That's not looking like it's in the anytime soon. (laughs) I love it. So what is the, what do you think the time frame is for moving on in retirement? Is that something you're talking about or is it in the distant, distant future? Well, if Jace had his way, I'd be gone already, I think. Um, <laughs> Jace, not, you want not, your mom to be on the no, beach? No, that's not true. <laughs> they're they're getting up there, though. They're getting to the point where they're they're starting to think about it. Well, yeah. So I'm 57, so, you know, you, you just start thinking. And, and I am... I mean, I'm slowing down. It takes me longer to get my work done than it used to. And and then I have an aging parent and myself, you know, that will need me more in the future. And so, yeah, I'm thinking about it. And I don't, I probably make more mistakes than I used to. Jace can probably attest to that. Um, when he grew the blast and the powder it he's i had my arms around everything for a long long time mm-hmm. but then it was definitely i mean i'm glad he brought like you in and and abby and and now michelle because the for the paperwork stuff because it was getting yeah i felt like i was drowning in paperwork sure definitely sure it was yeah. getting to be like i couldn't be sick i couldn't nothing or it would just right you know, just overwhelming how much paperwork right. it was constantly, constantly, yeah. constantly, constantly. You know how that goes. You see that now. Invoices just yeah. keep coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine after 33 years of being the only person doing that, I can't imagine how ready you'd be for a break. Yeah. I'm yeah. ready. I'm definitely ready for a break. And after that many years, you kind of get tired of doing the same thing, you know? Right. Something new and fresh. Sounds like you'll just have to talk Jay into being ready for a break. Well, I actually told him, I said, you know what? Why don't you just keep working and I'll kind of just, you know, taper off to next to nothing and I'll just find some girlfriends to go on some vacations with because <laughs> he doesn't like to go anyway. So why make him do something he doesn't like to do, you know? Sure. I like warm tropical places. So if you're looking for a travel buddy, <laughs> I'll go with you. All right. Hey, don't don't be taking my help along with on vacation. So. I, I don't think we can be gone at the same time. <laughs> All right. Well, Jerry, Mom, uh, thanks for being our first guest. Um, just a quick aside for most of you who think it's weird that I call her Sherry sometimes slash Mom. This episode, I was kind of calling her Mom because we're running this podcast out of a room in my house because that's a quiet place. But when we're at work, I always call her Sherry and I call Dad Jay because it just 
Just I've always done that. Because I said we should do that. Yeah, I guess. Why, I didn't why is know that? Because it's just more why? professional than like, he's like, well, let me go check with dad, you know, mm-hmm. or, well, hey, mom. I mean, I just, and they, I don't know. I just think it sounds better. Okay. It doesn't sound weird to hear it from your son. No, he used to call me Sherry when he was a little tiny guy. It was hilarious. (laughs) I just, I thought it was so funny. (laughs) Sherry. (laughs) Why did you start doing that, Jace? I don't know. I was just, I I don't even remember that. He was an old soul. He was something else. He was little, he was bossing me around when he was two years old. A manager right from the start. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> a born manager. All right. Well, thanks for being our first interviewee. It was a really good one. Chloe had some really good questions. So hopefully everybody enjoyed this interview, and we'll get maybe get Jay's take on some of those questions sometime in the near future. Um, I think now we're just going to roll on to the – Hot tips, so let me put our selection thing here. So what came up is cardinal black fine texture. And so that's a big one for you guys, isn't it? It is. Chloe makes a lot of POs for that. So that is a powder from Cardinal is the manufacturer. Black fine texture is the name of the color. And it is a like a lower lower gloss. It's probably like a fifteen percent gloss. A very fine texture, so it's not super rough. And we apply this to railing posts typically. For one of our um, big customers, Malin Innovation, he does a lot of cable railing, and this is his favorite color to use. He likes it because it doesn't show scuffs very well. So meaning like. Posts get handled a lot during uh, installation. And so when you have a little bit of a texture on there, it just holds up a little bit better, a little more durable. And clo- it's kind of a recent one for him, isn't it? He didn't used to use it. Right. He switched over to it because he was having problems with stuff getting scuffed during shipping. And not like powder wasn't falling off, but, you know, if you just have a nice glossy finish, it can get scuffed. And so mm-hmm. he was having a lot of returns, I think, just because of random scuffs and they weren't really his fault. And so he was trying, he wanted her to try the fine texture. And ever since he tried it, he really, really liked it. What other applications do you typically use it on? We also will use it on when somebody wants a black, but their parts are galvanized to begin with. So when parts are galvanized to begin with, hot dip galvanized, typically like railing, let's say we, it will, uh, the galvanizing will outgas in the oven. So during the curing process, even if you preheat it and try to outgas it before you powder, put the powder on in the curing oven, it'll still outgas, meaning while the powder's curing, little gas bubbles come up through the powder. And so it, it makes a, you can, when the powder comes out of the oven and everything's cooled down and you go look at the part, you can actually see little pinhole bubbles. They're tiny, just like this, the size of a pinhead. But if you do, if you use like gloss black, you see them everywhere. It looks terrible. Mm-hmm. But if you use a textured powder, it covers that up. And so in general, a lot of people like black is a very popular color. So that's kind of our go-to one if we're having a powder coat black over galvanized because the the pinholes are still there. But mm-hmm. since it's a fine texture powder, they just kind of blend right in. You don't 
even really notice they're there. I learned something today. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's a good powder. Uh, so speaking of cable railing posts, actually, we had a question on social media about them. We posted a video on Instagram featuring some of the cable railing posts uh, that we powder coat for Malin Innovation. Um, the video was about how these parts are designed to have a discrete hole in the bottom so that they can be hung during the powder coating process. Um, and I think this happens because, correct me if I'm wrong, you powder coat how many, what, thousands of these a year? Yeah, multiple thousands. Right. Yeah, Usually one yeah. batch is a thousand now. So you need them hangable, obviously, since you're powder coating them in large quantities. Um, and this question came to us from Polynomial, which I know is one of our other clients. Question is, I'm assuming these posts are for an interior application, but what about exterior? Would one of these holes be a source of rust leaching? So I'm not sure which holes he was talking about. He may have been alluding to the hole that's there that we're hanging out of in the footplate. But cable railing has holes everywhere because cable goes through it. And so I think what he was alluding to is like if these posts go exterior, water can get down inside those posts, right? Because mm -hmm. there's holes and the cables aren't like totally sealed to that hole. So there's a lot of places for water to get in and then run back out. He's correct if you just use regular steel with for your cable railing that you could have a lot of issues. Um, the good thing about... Malin's post, which was what was in this picture, they he uses stainless steel for all of his material. So he doesn't have any problems with rust because stainless steel doesn't rust. So for these particular ones, they can go inside or outside. That's the way that they des Malin designed um, their product. So we don't really have any rust leaching, but but it is a good question and something to bring up when, when you're talking about cable rail going outside, you almost it's almost a necessity to use stainless steel. Otherwise, yes, you absolutely will have some sort of rusting happening. The inside of the post will start to rust. Um, mm -hmm. I do like the holes in the foot plate for another reason. So even if it wasn't necessary to hang out of that to hide the hook mark, let's say, and we could hang out of some other hole and it not be sure. seen, it's very important to have a hole in the bottom of the foot plate when you're talking about cable railing because water inevitably is going to get in because mm -hmm. of the holes where the cables go through. So if you don't have a hole in the bottom, that post will actually start filling up with water. And then when it gets cold out, that water will freeze. And then I, you know, when you, when it freezes, it expands and then it can actually burst that pipe or that tube. Okay. And you'll, you'll see it, you could see it bulged up. You see that on all railing all the time that water had gotten inside. Or if it's, you know, bulge so much then it could you can actually see where it like breaks along the side and there's actually a split in the tube so cable rail it's really important to have a hole on the bottom so the water can actually get back out that's gonna sure. get in so there's kind of a, a dual purpose almost for those on there but a really good design actually yeah sounds like it. it sounds like you put a lot of thought into it yeah that's great well Do we have anything else? I don't think we have anything else today. I feel like I learned a lot today about the Kazers, about the business. I learned a lot this about Sherry. Yeah? Yeah. What did you learn about Sherry? I don't know. I just, just her point of view. I don't get to hear her very much because yeah. me and my dad have strong personalities, so she kind of stays out of it. 
you know, it just lets us kind of run wild. I mean, she keeps us on track, but I don't necessarily get to hear exactly what she's thinking. She's nodding back there. Is that fair, Sherry? Yes, I've learned how to quietly mm-hmm. get my opinion across. I usually keep quiet unless there's something I feel real strongly about. Right. Right. There, But there's a certain way you, you got to go about letting it be heard. <laughs> You're a diplomat. Jace calls me a brain ninja. <laughs> the brain ninja. That's way better than receipt lady. <laughs> I would make that my new nickname from now on if I were you. We have to credit my mom for that, though. I learned it from my mom. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, thanks for being on, Sherry. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I I had more fun than I thought I would. <laughs> okay. Great. Well, stay tuned for KazerCast Episode 3. It'll be coming up soon. So join us next time. Is everything working good for you? You need anything? Anything broke? Anything leaking? Just make sure we stay on track with the yellows and everything will be fine. Little things lead to big things. When you stay late tonight, we need to get this job finished up. Overall, I think everybody's doing a great job. Keep up the good work getting hot out so make sure you're drinking plenty of water i know this job's been difficult and everybody's getting frustrated but if we can't do it nobody else can that's the reason why the job's here because nobody else could get it figured out just keep working at it don't get frustrated we'll keep collecting data taking good notes and we'll get it figured out does anybody else have anything